about a day like today. Um, a couple of announcements to share with you as we begin our service this morning. Um, first of all, prayer meeting, the time has changed. Prayer meeting's time has changed. It is now 5.30 p.m. So if you are um, someone that comes to prayer meeting or are interested in coming to prayer meeting, please make sure you come at 5.30 instead of when everybody's leaving at 6.30. Um, so please make sure you are here at 5.30 p.m. for the beginning of prayer meeting. Youth group is tonight from 5 to 8 o'clock, not 6.30 as it says in the bulletin. I'm sorry about that, but 5 to 8 o'clock. Tonight is an event called Kidnap Gnomes. If you have not turned in paperwork for that, please make sure you see me before you leave today. The youth group's having a spaghetti dinner fundraiser this Saturday from 5 to 7. It's free, but donations are appreciated, and all donations will go towards helping the teens with costs of different events. Um, so if you're able to do that, it's going to be absolutely delicious. Um, encourage you to come out to that. We extend our sympathies to Dave Booker upon the passing away of his father this past week, and uh, we're definitely praying for you guys. Let's open our service in prayer this morning. Gracious Lord, we are so thankful that the sun is shining. Father, we're thankful that you love us in ways that we will never truly understand. Lord, we are here this morning for different reasons, with different things on our hearts and different things on our minds. We're here with different burdens and different chains. Some are here encouraged and some are here discouraged. But Lord, we ask that you break through all of that this morning and help us to focus on you and you alone. Help us to celebrate your love for us, that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The choir is going to open this morning with a really good song.
Let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand, welcome those around you to our service this morning.
Our hymn this morning is Come Christian, Join to Sing. Let's do that. Hymn number 60. Hymn number 60. <clears throat> <clears throat> Hymn number 37, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Changes 
We want to take a few moments to come before the Lord, uh, come before the throne of grace and bring some folks uh, before him. Uh, a couple of things I uh, want to mention this morning. Um, please keep Melissa Lebo uh, in your prayers. Um, she's been having some migraines and some stomach issues that uh, we need to pray that they would be able to solve and figure out what is uh, all taking place there. Uh, also, Deb Schultz, it's good to have her with us this morning. Uh, she's here on a walker and a boot, uh, which is far better than the cast. And uh, we're just thankful that the Lord has uh, been uh, raising her up to good strength. Uh, she writes a, uh, a note that I would like to read this morning. Dear Word of Life family, uh, many thanks to all of you for your prayers, uh, for my recovery and thoughtful gestures of kindness expressed by many beautiful cards, books, phone calls, newspapers, offers of help, and gifts of a fruit basket and a candle. Thanks especially for remembering me in your prayers and showing your concern for me by asking Gary how I am doing. That convicted and motivated him to check on me once in a while. Now, this next sentence is for him. <laughs> Gary, I'm just pulling your leg on this one. But thanks, church family, for keeping him accountable. Keep up the good work. Do I hear an amen? And all God's people said, amen. Now, that, I did, that was written. <laughs> I'm only reading what's on this note. Thanks to God for a sense of, hum of humor. Special thanks to Amanda Lebo and the ladies who put together the cookbook. I have enjoyed trying new recipes from it. Your efforts and long hours are greatly appreciated. Thanks to God for the wonderful gift of healing. It is amazing how many things we take for granted or trivialize in their usefulness until they're no longer functional. Uh, I hope having two working legs to carry me through my daily life will never be taken lightly by me again. I have been counting my many blessings that I have previously overlooked and given no thought to. Life quickly comes to a grinding halt or becomes difficult uh, even when even one ability is even temporarily unavailable for our use. We truly are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is even more visible and realized when not working. How much we have to be thankful to God for now and in the future. It's wonderful now but the best is yet to come. Think of how much we have to look forward to. I miss hearing the congregation singing and worshiping with our church family. It will be a joy to participate in praising God for his marvelous blessings with all of you soon. Your sister in Christ, Deb Schultz. So uh, that day has arrived. Deb, good to have you uh, back with us. Uh, again, there's many, many names on our sheet. Uh, we do ask you to keep uh, these folks before the Lord. Now, Father, as we come into your presence, we are thankful once again that uh, we are able uh, to come with our praises. Father, we do praise you for the wonderful things you've done on our behalf. We praise you for the great salvation which you have provided for us found in Jesus Christ alone. 
Father, we praise you for life eternal. And it is true, as we've just read in Deb's note, uh, that our future is a blessed one. Father, we have so many things to look forward to. And so many things that you have promised to us. A life filled with joy and peace. No more suffering. No more pain. No more sorrow or heartbreak. Father, things then will be perfect as they need to be. Father, we look forward to that day when Jesus comes back and takes us to be with himself. But Father, until that future, until that day, I pray that you would help and keep us faithful. Father, we've sung of your faithfulness to us, and you have been and always will be. Help us to be faithful as well to you. And help us, Lord, to love you with our heart and our soul and our mind. Help us, Lord, to obey you and trust you in all matters of life. So, Father, there's much in our lives that need to be changed, many things. We're far from what we need to be. We're far from that day when we will be like Jesus, when we will be glorified as we will become like him, holy. But, Father, now I pray that you help us to strive toward that holiness and strive toward being like him and being as we're being conformed into his very image father we are thankful for the blood of jesus christ that has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and for the positions we have now in jesus christ now father we bring our petitions before you we do pray for melissa this morning we know that these last few weeks have been very difficult migraines are not something that are easy Father, now with the stomach issues and it's believed that maybe the medication has done something internally, uh, we pray that as she goes in for this um, procedure uh, next month, that, Father, they would be able to figure out what is taking place and then have a solution and be able to correct it. Uh, Father, we think also of Deb. We're thankful, Lord, that you have raised her up, that she can be with us this morning. Lord, it's always good to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ, to be able to sing together, praise together, pray together, fellowship together. Uh, and Father, we miss those that can't be with us, and we're thankful, Lord, Lord that now uh, she has been able to join us. Uh, we think of others like uh, Sarah Marco and Dorothea, Lord, who have been away from us for some time now. We, we do commit them to you as well, and pray that soon they might uh, be able to join us as well. Father, we're thankful again that you brought us here. This is your day. Lord, this is the one day of the week when uh, we set things aside. Uh, we do things differently. Father, we come to church. We come to be with one another. We come to be with you. And I pray, Lord, that in this next hour as we've come together, that you might be honored and glorified in everything we do. Father, that everything that comes out of our mouths, our attitudes, our actions, all of these things bring you great glory. You are a great and mighty God. We are so thankful to have you as our God. And so, Father, now in just a few moments, as the praise team has come to 
lead us once again into your presence and singing. Lord, may you be honored and glorified as the sovereign, almighty God you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with us as we sing to the Savior who has saved us.
I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in joseph's tomb the entrance Messiah still and all alone. And oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation. Purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. All the day long This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior All the day Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture, now burst on my side, angels descending, bring from Goes of mercy, whispers aloud. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day
almost one year ago when we concluded a series, a sermon series, in the book of Romans. Uh, you may recall that, but last February uh, we finished Romans chapter 8. Uh, we looked at chapters 1 through 8, and I said at the conclusion of that series that we would finish the book at some time in the future. Today is that sometime in the future. Today we want to start Romans chapter 9. Now Paul, in the book of Romans, as he does in many of his letters, and by the way, you see there on the screen, uh, John Piper said this is the greatest letter ever written. Now, I know some of you wrote your wives some Valentine, gave them Valentine's cards, and you put little notes in there, and you thought this is the greatest thing ever. Well, I'm sorry, but probably the book of Romans is a step above that little note. The greatest letter ever written. And Paul does what he often does in many of his letters, as we saw in the book of Ephesians. He begins by presenting doctrine. He gives us truth. And then, after giving that truth, he moves into the practical section. So what Paul does is he gives doctrine, and then he says, now that this is what we believe, this is then how you should live. You do know, don't you, that doctrine has not been given to us for the sake of the doctrine, but to change us, to make us more like Jesus. And so Paul gives us the doctrine, the truth, and then he says, now that you know this material, then live like this. The Word of God has been given to us to change us from the inside out, as the, as the sermon series was a couple of weeks ago. And so this is what Paul does. One through eight, doctrine. We looked at that last year. Then in chapter 12 through 16, he presents the section of how we should then live. 1 through 8, doctrine. 12 through 16, 
practice. Now, it doesn't take a mathematician to know that I left out three chapters. One through eight, doctrine. Twelve through sixteen, practice. But there's nine, ten, and eleven sandwiched in between the doctrine and the practice. Paul takes three chapters right in the middle of this letter to talk about the nation of Israel. And it almost seems as though this is some kind of interruption, some type of parenthesis. Very unusual in Paul's letters because he goes directly from doctrine to practice. It would have been very easy for Paul to go from chapter 8 to chapter 12, but he doesn't do that. Right in the middle, he has these three chapters that are devoted to the nation of Israel. Why? Why does Paul do that? Well, let's look at chapter 8 at the very end and see how he ends in the doctrinal section. Look at Romans chapter 8. Let's try to figure out why Paul does what he does in these three chapters. At the very end of chapter 8 of the book of Romans, this is what Paul says in verse 38. Romans 8.38 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul ends this doctrinal section after he talks about the fact that we have all sinned and come short of God's glory, Romans chapter 3. That the Jews and Gentiles, we are all alike today. And we all come to the Father and are justified by faith. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands nor seeks after God. This is the doctrine that Paul presented in these opening chapters. That we have all sinned. And that righteousness only comes as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. There's a struggle. And we looked at that in Romans chapter 7. Paul says we're in this tension. Wanting to do right and yet being tempted to do wrong. That's the Christian life. But then he comes to the end of chapter 8 and he says this, but listen, I want you to know something. That you who have put your faith in Jesus, there isn't one thing in this world that can separate you from the love that God has for you. And that once you come into that family of God, once you are justified by faith and faith alone, you are eternally secure. One of the great, great doctrines of the faith 
and we believe in this church strongly, is that you, as a Christian, are eternally secure. That you are saved not only by grace, but you are kept by that same grace. That no one, no thing, can pluck you from your Father's hand. That once you are saved, you are always saved. The Bible speaks of eternal life that is given to those who believe. Not temporary life, not life that starts sometime in the future, not life that goes on for about a thousand years and then somehow it ends. Eternal life is exactly what it says. It's eternal. It's eternal. Paul said in, Roman, or in Philippians chapter 1 that he, God, who has begun this good work in you, that same God is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look at 8.30. Chapter 8 and verse 30. Paul says, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. J. Vernon McGee in his commentary says this. He says, God saves you, and it's God who will see you through. It's God who saved you, and it's God who will see you through. Eternal security is one of the great doctrines of the faith. A lady was asked one time when uh, she was looking at the verse which states that, you know, no man shall pluck you out of the Father's hand. And uh, she was asked the question, but don't you think you could slip through his fingers? And she responded by saying, no, because I'm one of the fingers. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. The mystical body of Christ, that's who we are. We're the church. And no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. But then at the end of chapter 8, there are some, uh, as the readers of the book of Romans, would then say, but wait a minute. Okay, we, we get that. But what happened to the Jews? Uh, you know, all those great and wonderful promises that God made to the Jewish race. All right, we're the Gentiles. We get that. And the Roman church was predominantly a Gentile church. But what happened to the Jews? What happened to the covenants that God made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Weren't they eternal covenants? Weren't the promises that God made to the Jews, weren't they everlasting? If so, where are the Jews today? Paul, you just said there's no distinction now between Jews and Gentiles. That great barrier wall has been removed. And we're all under sin, and we all come to God through Jesus. Paul, what about those promises that, that God made to the Jews so long ago? 
And if God broke his promises with the Jewish race, his chosen people, how do we then know that God won't break his promise to us when he says, I give to you eternal life? If the everlasting promises, if God failed in those, maybe God will say to us after a thousand years, ah, you know, I didn't really mean eternal life. And so Paul has to address that. And thus we have chapters 9, 10, and 11. Paul has to address the question, what happened to the Jews? And all those promises that were given to them in the past, is that all done? Is God finished with the Jews? Did he just wash his hands and say, I'm done now with that, those people? Paul is on his third missionary trip. Uh, when he writes this book, he's writing most likely from a place called Corinth. And um, as I said, um, you know, salvation is, it comes to Jews and Gentiles alike. But when we come to the New Testament, there is a huge shift, right? Old Testament, it's all about the Jews. We come into the New Testament and all of a sudden now it's about Paul the Apostle coming to the Gentiles. So what happened to the Jews? Well, first of all, let's look at the past of Israel. They are the, the chosen people of God. If we go back 4,500 years, we go all the way back into the Old Testament, we go to a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was a man who God chose to be the father of a great nation. And he would be the father of the nation of Israel. And God brought Abraham into a special covenantal relationship with himself. A covenant is a promise. It's a pledge. Look at Romans 9, chapter 10, verse 10. Look at Romans chapter 9 and verse 10. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time, our father, I, same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She, Rebecca, was told that the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. In other words, I chose Jacob and I rejected Esau. There was a time in the history of Israel in which God chose he chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. And here we read that he chose Jacob over Esau. Jacob's choice was based upon sovereign freedom. No prior conditions, not because of character or conduct, but before either of these twins were born, before either, 
had done anything good or bad, God said, I choose Jacob, and I'm rejecting Esau. The election of Jacob was based upon God alone and in God alone. God chose Abram. God chose Isaac. And here we read God chooses Jacob, whose name will later be changed to Israel. God chose Israel to be his people. He chose them as his chosen people. If you turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to notice something about yourself. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Very interesting. Uh, Paul writes this little letter as well. He says in Ephesians 1, 4, For he chose us, we who are the church, we Christians, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be blameless and holy in his sight and love. We weren't chosen because we were holy or blameless. We were chosen in order that we might become holy and blameless. As it says back in Romans chapter 9, before these two twins, either of them, had done anything good or bad, God chose one over the other. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what Paul was thinking, the, reader, the readers were thinking. That makes God unfair. That makes God totally unjust to choose someone over another. And so what does Paul do? Paul answers the question before the people have a chance to ask the question. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 14. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Does this make God unjust to choose one over the other? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Listen, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort or works or any of those things, but on God's mercy. Jump down to verse 21. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Again, the argument is, is that God has the absolute right and freedom as a sovereign, almighty, omnipotent God to do what he pleases. And God has chosen a certain people. We call the Israelites. God chose them to become his chosen people. But we haven't asked or answered the question yet. Okay, if that's true, then what happened to the Israelites? If these are God's chosen people, did he just forget them completely and decide now to turn to the Gentile race and just forget the nation that he chose? Well, no. Let's look at the present. That's the past. God chose Israel. Let's look at the present. Look at chapter 9 and verse 30. 
What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they've obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness, they have not attained their goal. Why not? Well, because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Did God reject Israel? You bet he did. Now, we haven't gotten into the future yet. But at this point, because of their lack of faith, because of their choice to try and gain righteousness through the law, because they have stumbled over the stumbling stone who is Jesus the Messiah, when Jesus came to the Israelites, the Bible says they, uh, they rejected him, crucify him, they said. So yes, it was the Israelites who rejected God's way of righteousness, trying to merit God's favor by keeping the law. Jump down to verse 13 of chapter 10, or verse 3 of chapter 10. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. See, that's what Israel tried to do. The law was good, and it was perfect, it was holy, but it was never meant as a means through which Israel could gain favor with God. A right relationship with God is never by works. You can't earn it. You can't say to yourself, well, if I just come to church three times a month, uh, you know, that ought to be enough for me to come in favor with God and be in a right relationship. If I just put enough money in the white box, that earns me the right uh, to come into the favor of God. If I just do A, B, or C, that's not God's way. That was what Israel thought. If we just do these things, then we have righteousness. God said, that's not my way. It's always been by faith. It's always been by faith. That's why Paul earlier on uh, uses Abraham as the illustration. Right? You know, even Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He was righteous as a result of belief and faith and trust. It's always that way in every era. But Israel rejected God's way. And they sought to establish their own way. And for that reason, God rejected them. Now notice chapter 10 once again, verse 9. Paul says this, now if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, see, this is the way of salvation, this is the way of righteousness, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Look at chapter 10 and verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God's means of righteousness and salvation is always by faith. 
we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. We look at the cross, and there we see a man hanging. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus, when he died, he did not die for his own sins, but he died for the sins of the world. And as we trust in him and believe in him and put our faith in him and the blood that he shed, we have salvation. Our sins are forgiven. And God says that's the only way. It's not of works lest any man should boast. It's always by faith. Always by faith. It's always by believing. But the Jews, they stumbled over that. When Jesus came and offered himself as their Messiah, they rejected him. They did not believe that he was. And for that reason, and for the reasons we read here, that they sought righteousness their own way, God rejected the nation of Israel. The good news in all of that is this. Look at chapter 11 and verse 12. Here's the good news for you and I. Look at 11 verse 12. It says, but if there Israel's transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles. Israel's loss is now our gain. God rejected the Israelites and said, now we're going to do something new. I am going to take the Gentiles and the Jews alike, put them in one group. They've all sinned and come short of God's glory. But now I'm going to build a church. And all that put their faith and trust in my son Jesus, I'm going to place them into this church. Not a building, but a body of people. See, we're the church. We're the body of Christ. And because Israel rejected Jesus, God now turns to us, the Gentiles. Their loss, but our gain. God today is building a church. His church. And all those that put their faith and trust in Jesus are a part of that. Now, we still come back to the question we haven't answered yet. <laughs> but what about the Jews? <laughs> what about this group of people who God said, I am making these people my chosen nation? What about the great promises that were given to the great patriarchs in the Old Testament? Look at chapter 11 once again. In verse 11. Again, I ask. See, he hasn't answered the question yet. As I haven't answered yet. We didn't get, again, I ask. Did they, the Israelites, stumble, listen, so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Not at all. Now, let me just interject something here. We believe that the Bible is to be taken literal. There is a theology out there, it's called replacement theology. I just read about it in Israel My Glory, the new edition that came yesterday, the new magazine. Some of you get the magazine and they, they mention replacement theology in it. Of course, they are opposed to it because replacement theology says this, 
The church today has replaced Israel. The church has replaced Israel. That is so untrue. We have not replaced Israel. God is dealing with mankind today and placing us into the church, but we are not Israel. Don't go away believing that we somehow, the church, we have taken the place of Israel. That's called replacement theology. It is so untrue. The church has not replaced Israel. We are literalists. When the Bible says Israel, it doesn't mean church. And when the Bible says church, it doesn't mean Israel. We are not Israel, they are not us. We are the church. And I say all that to say this, that God is not done with Israel. Those promises in the Old Testament that God made to Abraham about an everlasting covenant, remember I spoke about that earlier, does God really mean everlasting? You bet he does. God may today have set aside Israel for a brief time, but God's going to revisit Israel in the future. God, once again, will look at the nation of Israel. Rejected forever? No way. That's why Paul said, do they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? No. No. Because we as a church, we did not replace Israel. God has a future for the nation of Israel. And what uh, Paul does in chapter 11, he uses this illustration of the olive tree. There's an olive tree. Think of an olive tree. When I was over in Israel, I saw so many of these trees. Olive trees are everywhere. And Paul, what he says in this chapter, in chapter 11, he says, think about an olive tree. Here's the olive tree, right? And the olive tree has these natural branches that go out from it. Natural branches. All these natural branches, these are, the, this, these are the, 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 the Jews. This is the nation of Israel that sprout out from this olive tree. But God someday is going to break those branches off. That's today. And he's going to put new wild sprouts into the tree. That's us, the church. He breaks off Israel. And he brings in these wild branches. We're called wild branches. Unnatural, which is what is being said. And we're going to be grafted in. That's the church. We are being grafted in today. However, if you look at verse 25. Well, no, back up. Look at, look at verse 11. No, that's not the verse I want either. Um, look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in again, see? For God is able to graft them, Israel, back in again. So the illustration of the olive tree is, it shows what has taken place in history. Here's Israel. They're the natural branches. But God breaks them off. He rejects them in the present age in which we live. And we now are grafted in, the church. But someday, the natural branches will be grafted in once again. Now look at verse 25. 
Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. You know, a mystery is something that um, it was hidden at one time, but now it's being revealed. Well, Paul's revealing this great mystery of Israel. What happened to Israel? What happened to the Jews? No, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Now listen, Israel has experienced a hardening in part, in part, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Now let me try and break that down. When I think of the future of Israel, this is how I see it unfolding. Right now, the Israelites, the Jews, they're blinded. You talk to Jews in Israel and they don't recognize Jesus as Messiah. Oh, some do. Don't misunderstand me. There's a lot of Jews who understand Jesus as Messiah. They've trusted Christ. They become into the church of God. But the Jews today, the nation as a whole, does not recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah. Right now, it says here, their hearts have been hardened. Their eyes are blinded. But it's only in part. In other words, it's only a temporary thing. Because this church age, now in which we live, will at some point end. It says, when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Or in the NIV, it's the way I memorize it. The full number of Gentiles has come in. The day is coming at the end of this church age in which we live today that there will be an end when the very last Gentile puts their trust in Jesus and the church is now over. The Bible says that this is the fullness of the Gentiles. And at that moment, the Bible says the trump will sound and there'll be a great shout and we who are alive and remain, the church, will be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. This is called the translation, the, the rapture of the church. We are caught up to be with Jesus. At that point, God now begins to deal with Israel once again. What is the seven-year tribulation period called? Well, many things. Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble. Following the rapture, there are seven years of tribulation in which Israel is going to go through a painful, painful experience. Jacob's trouble. The tribulation is all about Israel. A troubled time for the nation of Israel. But the tribulation then ends. And Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back as the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. And he wipes out the Antichrist and the whole nation of Israel according to the way I see this verse in verse 26. See, Jesus, their eyes are opened and all Israel will be saved as they enter into the thousand-year millennial period. Is God done with Israel? No way. In no way. God has a wonderful future in the blessed millennial period in which Israel will be once again the people of God.
You see, the promises that God made to Israel way, 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 way back then, when God says everlasting, you know what he means? He means it. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I'm going to stop and reject Israel forever. They're not lost forever. Maybe set aside for a period of time. But when God says everlasting, he means that. And the reason I say that and emphasize that is because when you trusted Jesus, the Bible says he gave you everlasting life, which is a life that does not end. And because God, and this is the lesson I think for us today, because God was true to his promises to Israel, and will be, we can be assured that we who are the children of God's, that we will always be the children of God. That doesn't mean we can go out there and act any way we want to. No, this doesn't give us a license to go out and sin. But I firmly believe in the doctrine of eternal security. Once you become part of God's body, you can't be ripped from it. Once you're in the family of God, you are always a member of that family. That relationship, it just cannot change. And so we read verses like uh, John chapter 3, verse 15, that uh, says, Everyone who believes may have eternal life. You believe you get eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God really means that. When he says I give you eternal life, he means that. That you are always going to be a part of the body of Christ. That you are secure that you are bound for the promised land, that nothing can separate you from the love of God and no one can pluck you out of your Father's hand. Someone described John chapter 10, and I want to read this and then I'm going to close, but I've always loved John chapter 10 as it relates to our assurance, our eternal security. John chapter 10 In verse 27 says this, My sheep, they listen to my voice, and I know them. Now this is Jesus speaking. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Someone described these verses as three barrels. Think of three barrels. One small barrel, one medium-sized barrel, and one larger barrel. You and I, we are the little barrel. Jesus is the medium-sized barrel that covers us. And God the Father is the large barrel that covers both. 
In order for anyone to get to us, they must go through God and through Jesus. And the Bible says no man, nothing can snatch us out of our Father's hand. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning with thankful hearts. Thankful that you, Lord, have chosen to reach out into our world, our Gentile world. Israel's lost is our gain. And Father, I pray this morning that each one here understands and knows that belief and faith and trust is what brings us into a right relationship with you. Nothing else. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. And then once, Lord, we trust you, once we come into your family, Lord, we are always, always going to be the children of God. Father, I thank you. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory is mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with a hymn uh, 308. Uh, My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. Let's stand together and we'll sing this and we'll be dismissed. in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price for my sin at Calvary for me he died for me he lives lasting life and light he free found in Jesus' righteousness for me. He died for me. (coughs) Everlasting fan life he freely gives. And now for me he stands for the Father's throne. Shows his wounded and names me as his own for me. He died for me, he lives in everlasting life and light freely gives. His grace has planned it all, tis mine, but believe, recognize his work of love, 
Christ received for me. Father, we are thankful this morning that it is by grace and through faith. Nothing we have done, lest we should boast. And so, Father, for this wonderful plan of salvation, which you, Lord, have provided for mankind, we thank you. We thank you so much for the church. Keep building it. We know that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are thankful to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.